Anybody excited to be here today? Man, as I'm worshiping this morning, my mind was taken to what King David said. I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Anybody believe that? Man, I'm excited to be here today. I'm excited to be sharing with you guys. I want to say thank you for the worship. I want to say thank you for welcoming me. My wife and I were here several weeks ago. Thank you for welcoming my wife, for welcoming my children. This is a welcoming place. This is a loving place. Amen? Yeah. And I know it's been a tough week for all of you, man. My heart breaks, but I want to remind you of something that I believe that everybody in this room knows, that Jesus is still on the throne. Amen? That what we do matters. And moments like this remind me that when we walk out of these doors, there's a spiritual battle going on. Inside of the church, there's a spiritual battle going on. And moments like these remind me, guess what I'm going to do when I wake up in the morning? I'm going to put on my armor. I'm going to suit up. I'm going to grab my sword, and I'm going to go do battle. Amen? So as I prayed through a word to encourage you guys this morning, and man, let me tell you, I have been praying, and I'm so thankful for the leadership of this church and talking with these guys and praying with them. And so I want to speak a word of encouragement for all of you this morning, for everybody here, for everybody online, but I also want to challenge you. Um, It's not time to throw in the towel. And God has given Oaks Church a place and a voice to speak life and to speak truth, amen, that God, I believe, will cause this church to be a beacon, to be a light, to be a city on a hill, to declare the truth of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. We're called to call men and women out of darkness and into the presence of God. I've got a word that I want to share with you. It's in Acts chapter 3. If you got some Bibles or iPhones or whatever, you can turn to it. I know that it'll be on the screen as well, but As we get into that thought, I I want us to just be real this morning. Let's be honest. Let's be transparent. Let's search our hearts. I want to ask you this. Have you ever been in those places before that you felt like God was holding out on you, church? Have you had those moments that you felt like you trusted God? And you went to a place and and you laid everything down. You jumped all in. You got excited and you felt like God is taking you to this place. There's something great. And then you get there and you just feel like God is denying you. Have you had those moments that you feel like you see God doing great things in other people's lives? And you're like, uh, hello, <laughs> where am I at? Or you, you heard that God healed them, but he didn't heal you. He didn't heal your family member. You're like, well, praise the Lord. I see what he's doing in that community. I see what he's doing in that church. Well, I see their joy. Well, I'm so glad you restored their marriage. Oh, I'm glad he got a financial blessing. She got a spiritual breakthrough. And then you look in the mirror. And you're like, God, what? <laughs> what about me? God, do you, do you see me? Have you forgotten about me? And I think what we're going to see in the story today, and maybe it's where you're at, is sometimes when we get in those places, you know what we do? We settle for lesser things because we no longer trust God for the greater things. I titled this message, On the Outside Looking In. And I want to talk about those places that we get into where we feel like we're trying to do the right thing, we're kind of doing what makes since we're trying to be in the right place, man, but we're just missing it. We're on the outside looking in. Kind of a funny story I was thinking about on Tuesday as this message came to me a few months ago. I went to do some mission work in Tanzania, and uh, 
let me tell you, it was a trip. And so I'm, I'm going there, and I felt God called me to go, and I'm the only person going from this area, and so I'm supposed to just be meeting some folks down there who I'd never met before. And I don't know if you've been to Tanzania, but it's a little bit of a trip there. It's hours after, it's like a day and a half journey. I fly to, I think it was Amsterdam, and so you're like on a plane for 12 hours or something, squished up in the back. You know, I got the cheap seats on the very back of the plane in between people. I cannot sleep on a plane to save my life. And then you get there just long enough to try to get a bite to eat, and they're like, get on another plane for another 12 hours. Let's go. And and so after almost two days of traveling, we were, uh, I was supposed to land in uh, Zanzibar. So Zanzibar is an island about 15 miles off the coast of Tanzania, off the coast of Dar es Salaam. And so I land there, I meet the team, man, I'm exhausted. I've been on a plane for almost two days, and uh, we're just supposed to be there for an hour, and then we're going to get to the capital and then go. Man, this is a trip I've been praying for, I've been preparing for, I've been giving to the Lord. God is going to move. We land there in Zanzibar, I meet these folks, and the people there are like, hey, by the way, you can't go. I'm like, what? You're there, there's like, you just can't, you can't go to Tanzania. Why can't we go? Somebody's like, hey, man, there's some unrest over there. I'm like, unrest? And about an hour later, it's like, no, 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 it's, uh, it's engine trouble. I'm like, that's a lot different than unrest. And later on, it's like, hey, man, there's some extremists. And people are like, no, no, it's a flight. It's a story after story after story. But one thing was absolutely clear. You ain't going. And they were even like, man, you might have to turn around and go back home. And I'm like, so it's been about 40 hours since I left my home. I'm going to Tanzania. They're like, You're, you ain't going. And I remember the feeling, it's the middle of the night, I'm with these strangers of being defeated, that I trusted the Lord for something. I literally traveled to the other side of the globe, and I'm 15 miles from where God had called me to go. You can see it from the beach, and I can't get there. And so we find some super sketchy place to sleep that night, and then the next morning, we just show up at the airport, just fighting. It's burning hot in there, and we sit, and we're like, we ain't leaving until you let us over there. One plane comes, can we go? You can't go. Next plane comes, can we go? You can't go. Another plane comes, can we go? You can't go. We sit there the whole day. And then for whatever reason, man, we got guys like emailing and calling and fighting and pushing. For whatever reason, they finally look at us and they're like, all right, I guess you can go. <laughs> and so we walk out there. I don't know if you know this, but when you're in, when you're in that area, there's no, there's no TSA. We just like walk out on the runway. You're out there. There's planes everywhere. They're like, I don't know, go over that way. And we're going and, and we walk around and there's like this 1960s propeller plane, like beat up, green, dirty. And I'm like, man, is my plane behind that plane? Like, where's, They're like, nah, that's your plane. That's how you getting over there. We get on the plane, climb up the ladder. Uh, they sent me somewhere and the back of the seat is broken. They're like, I can't even lean back in this thing. The seatbelt's broken. I'm tying it up. And those kind of moments, you just giving it to the Lord. You're like, I don't know what's going to happen, man. I'm praying for my children. The Lord is going to raise these kids. And you may be shocked there was no in-flight movie or uh, service on that plane. But thank the Lord we, we made it there. But isn't it funny how every time you're trying to do God's will, it seems like something wants to get in your way? Every time God is carrying you somewhere, it's like something blocks you. And thank the Lord, we finally made it into the country, and we got issue after issue, but God moved, and it was an incredible moment. But I I say all that to say this, not only in physical places, but I can tell you so many times in my life, in my faith journey, that I felt like God was leading me somewhere, and all I experienced was roadblocks. 
There's times I've got angry and jealous because I'm like, God, I see that you're using them and I see that you're blessing him. What about me? And if I can be totally transparent with you, there's sometimes that I've held on that I'm like, hey, let's keep going. Let's keep fighting. I'm not leaving until I, I'm like, Jacob, holding on like you're going to bless me. But other times I've just settled. I've just been like, man, maybe I'll just go and do this for a while. Maybe I'll just go and do that for a while. Have you ever been there? Where you got somewhere and you felt God was leading you somewhere and you got so close, but you just felt like you couldn't break through. I want to show you our passage this morning out of Acts chapter 3. To give you some context, we know that Jesus was just killed there in Jerusalem. And so uh, all the religious leaders, man, they're just wiping their hands like, man, we're done with this guy. That's the last we're going to hear of this Jesus. And then in one chapter before Acts chapter 2, we know that Peter stands up and he does what? He preaches this sermon. Man, thousands of people are saved. The Holy Spirit falls. The church is born. And then we're about a week later. Peter and John, who are the heads of the church, they're going to the temple to pray. Three o'clock in the afternoon, there's a prayer service. They're still Jewish guys. They're like, hey, let's go to the temple and let's pray. So I'm going to pick up in Acts chapter 3. It says this, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man who was lame from birth was being carried in. Every day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked him for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said this. He said, hey, look at us. <laughs> The lame man looked at him eagerly expecting some money, but Peter said, I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold for you. If you've heard this story, you know what they say, but I'm going to give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene. Get up and walk. Peter took the lame man by the right hand and he helped him up. And as he did, this man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up. He stood on his feet. He began to walk. He wasn't done then. Then walking, leaping, praising God, he went into the temple with them. Now, all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God when they realized that he was a lame beggar that they had seen so often at the gate called Beautiful. They were absolutely astonished. They rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. And then it closes out with this. And Peter saw his opportunity, and he addressed the crowd. It, isn't it, the first thing that stands out to me is what striking image, imagery it is that this guy, he's there at the temple, which at that time in the world was one of the most ornate, beautiful places on planet earth. Everything is perfect, marble and gold and bronze and wood and design. He's at a gate called what? Beautiful. I mean, if you would have seen this thing, it is larger than life. But yet for the religious folks there, y'all know about religious folks? For the religious folks, this guy's anything but that. They saw him as dirty, filthy, unclean. And you know, here's the deal. Some people would have had pity on him, right? Hey, let me throw a couple coins in your cup. But who wants to live off of other people's pity? But you see that they didn't just pity him. You can guarantee that the people judged him. You know the story in John chapter 9 where, where the disciples are walking with Jesus and they see a guy that's blind. And what do they ask Jesus? They say, hey, who sinned? 
Who was immoral? Who did something unrighteous that caused his disease? Did he sin? Does mom and daddy sin? Who sinned that made him come out this way, that deal with this affliction? What does that mean? That means that for this guy, we can guarantee that not only do they pity people that have sicknesses and issues and diseases and problems, but they judge them. They saw their punishment as judgment from God. They're thinking, man, you know, you see somebody like that, man, I wonder what he did to get in that place. I wonder what he did wrong. Maybe he didn't pray enough. Maybe it was mom or daddy. Maybe they were wrong. Maybe they messed up. Maybe they didn't take him to church every Sunday. Maybe he forgot to read his Bible. Whatever it is, he got himself into that situation. And so because of that, you know that the people generally, for a beggar, they would never look at him in the eyes. You see, to look at a man in the eyes is to give them dignity. To look at him in the eyes for them was to give them worth beyond what they thought they deserved. But they don't deserve that because you see the people going to pray, they're the holy ones, right? The people going in to, to, to worship, to pray, to sacrifice, well, they're the righteous ones. So how could they dare defile themselves by looking down on this beggar who got himself into that situation doing God only knows what? I mean, today we would never act like that, would we? I mean, we would never see a beggar on the side of our car at the red light. Uh-oh. You have never been so busy with your car radio in your life, waiting on the light to turn green so you can go on. But let's be honest, quietly thinking to yourself, I wonder what they did to get in that situation. Was it drugs? Was it alcohol? Did they just get out of prison? Are they a big scam artist? What was their sin that put them in that spot? Lord, if you got kids in the car, you're like, don't look at them. <laughs> no, I'm not giving them money, man. I work for that money. It's easy to judge the people that we read about in the Bible, but sometimes, man, we got to use this thing as a mirror and say, have we really changed all that much? Peter breaks all the social mores and he looks at this guy in the eyes. That's a big deal. That's why Luke recorded that. He looked him in the eyes and I love, he said, hey, <laughs> look at us. Look at me. In other words, stop acting like a beggar and have some respect for yourself. Lift your head up. Look at me in the eyes. Peter got this guy's attention. This guy's just going through the motions. You've been in those places in your life, you're just going through the motions. You get up every day, you do your thing, whatever you got to do to get through the day, get up and do it again. He needed a wake-up call. Now the thing is, they're not going to give him what he thinks that he needs. They're not going to give him what he thinks that he wants, but for what they are going to offer him, they need his complete attention. They need this guy for the first time in his life to stop thinking about a few coins in a cup and start thinking about his eternity. You have those people in your life that for whatever reason, it seems that they're incessantly focused on whatever problem is right in front of them. It's nobody in this room. It's the other people that you deal with. They go from problem to problem. Every time you call, you know they're like, Lord, what's the next problem? And here's the truth. So many of those people in our lives, we know what they need. We just don't have the mental energy to walk with them through that problem to get them through the other side. It's like, man, I know what you need. I know the love. I'd love to give you Jesus, but I don't have time for that. And so every now and then you entertain them. I'll take the phone call. I'll give you a couple bucks. I'll quickly dismiss you. 
Other times with those people in your life, you know it. You get that phone call, you look at it, you're like, whoo, decline. And why is that? Because you don't want their attention. Can I be honest? So many times in my life, it's like, I just want to get through my day. I don't want anybody else's attention. I don't have the energy or the time to get involved in other people's messes. I'm too busy with my own mess. But Peter was willing to stop and get this guy's attention. And he said, what? Hey, man, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have any money. I'm broke. (laughs) But I'm going to give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And Peter does what? He reaches down and he grabs this guy and he pulls him up. And the moment he touches him, he's healed. He's restored, man. He's cheering and jumping and shouting and praising God. And here's the thing I want you to catch. What did Peter and John do? They grab him and they take him into the temple. You see, he couldn't go in there before, but he can go in there now. The place where people worshiped, the place where people met with God and communed, he wasn't welcome there before, but now he's welcome there because he's healed. And let me tell you, church, that this story is not just about a guy getting healed. And can we thank God that he still heals people? Amen. This story isn't just about one guy that got to praise Jesus and praise God. There's still reason to rejoice in the house. I look at this, and this story isn't even about one guy that got to walk in the temple. You know that that very temple would be torn down without two stones standing on top of one another in just a few decades. It wasn't about that. And if that's all you get out of this story, man, you miss the heart of the story. When I read this story, you know what I see? I see the heart of the gospel. That this is what Jesus lived for. This is what he taught. This is what he died for. This guy's healed at exactly 3 p.m. That was a holy hour. You know, 3 p.m. is the exact hour that just a couple months ago, Jesus breathed his last breath, made a sacrifice, tore the veil, opened up access to God, offered us complete forgiveness, defeating hell and death. And you got Peter and you got John, these guys representing the church, right? This newly formed church. These guys are the head of the church and they're going to do what? They're going to spend time with their father, You see, they knew they had access to God. They knew they had access to the Father. And it's like, hey, there's a prayer service. Let's go spend time with God. Let's go worship and pray. But as they were walking, somebody say, as they're walking. As they're walking, they're looking. You can write this down and remember this church. The church should always be moving and always be looking. The church needs to be moving and the church needs to be looking. Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. Well, guess what? That's our mission, that we need to be going, that as we get to have time with the Father, and as we feel welcomed by Him, we need to be looking, seeking the lost, the empty, the hurting, the overworked, the overlooked. As they are moving, and as they are looking, they see a broken man who doesn't have the same access to the Father that they have. Now, listen to me. He's in the right place. You get what I'm saying? This guy is at the temple in Jerusalem. For a Jewish man, there's no better place on planet earth for you to be. You're in the right place. He can see the temple. He can hear praying all around him, just like this incredible worship we just stepped out of. He can hear worshiping. He's close enough to touch God's faithful as they went in there to pray. He sees the men and the women dressed and their best. He's in the right place, but he's on the outside looking in. And as much as he wants to, he doesn't 
feel like he can break through. He doesn't feel like, like God wants to do for him what he does for everybody else. And so what does he do when we, we get in those situations? What do we all do whenever we feel stuck? We settle. We find something to get us through the day. Something that works to get me through the day so I can wake up and do the same thing the next day. And the same thing the next day, all the while deciding, man, maybe God missed me. Maybe it was my sin. Maybe I did do something wrong. Maybe something's wrong with me. You've been there, right? And I know this church, man, has been through challenges, has been through tough times. And we can be honest, man, life is hard. We all walk through some pretty dark valleys, and you may be walking through some dark valleys now. And it's easy to feel that way. It's easy to think, man, God, you love me as much as you love the people that aren't having to struggle the way that I'm having to struggle. You love me as much as the people that aren't having to deal with the burden that I'm having to deal with. And maybe things don't turn out the way you want because life can get ugly. I don't know if you know this, but people can disappoint you. (laughs) Your family can disappoint you. Your church can disappoint you. And it's so easy to think as we go through this, man, God, do you even see me, much less love me? When I see this broken man here in Acts 3 that's sitting in the place but is on the outside looking in, what I see is you and me. When I see this broken man, I see as us that at some point we decided that we weren't good enough. That perhaps his disability is our sin, is our brokenness, is our shame, is our hardships that have tried to hold us back. But like I said, there's good news. <laughs> this story shows us the heart of the gospel. And so what does Peter do? Peter, the rock, he reaches down and he pulls this man up to his feet. And he allows him for the first time in his life not just to look into the place where people are praying, where people are worshiping, but maybe for the first time in his life thinking, I can go in there too. What if God wants to hear me pray? What if God wants to spend time with me and he doesn't just stop there. I mean, I love this story that this dude has never walked in his life and he is jumping and he is praising and he is shouting. This guy became alive with the power of Jesus. Anybody know when you know that you've been healed, when you know that you've been restored, there ought to be a little praising? Like there ought to be a little shouting? Anybody know that God has redeemed you? Anybody felt Jesus reach down and pull you out of the junk that you're in? There ought to be reason to say, I can't just sit around anymore. God has done something in my life. What a beautiful representation of the heart of God. And I think this call, I think the reason that I I felt God put this passage on my heart is for those of you that call yourself the church this morning. I don't care about Oaks Church or whatever. You call yourself part of the body. Let me tell you, this is what we are called to be about. That if you have been given access to the Father, be willing to stop and grab some broken people along the way. Amen. Well, I say always be moving and always be looking. Be willing to look broken people in their eyes, reach down, pick them up, stand them to their feet, dust them off, love on them, and then watch Jesus heal them from the inside out. Now, here's the deal. I want you to see how this story shifts because it's important. It'll tell you a lot about crowds. I don't know if you know this, but crowds are fickle. Jesus knew a lot about crowds. 
And when you don't give a crowd what they want, they turn on you quickly. So this guy goes running into the place, man. He's shouting. He's cheering. He's excited. Man, he's probably crying. He's hugging everybody. You know, as people get excited, just hug you a little bit too long. He's like, look, I love you, bro. Why don't you wait like four seconds? Move it. Uh, he's excited. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And then the crowd sees this. The what? The crowd. Well, now they're amazed. They're like, wait, did somebody say a miracle? Did somebody say God is moving? But somebody says, so what do they do? They all go rush to go see Peter and John. Well, they did it. Well, what does the crowd want? Hey, show us something else. I heard you did something amazing, God. I heard you moved. Hey, y'all bring another disabled person that we've rejected. Go make their life better. We're excited. God is moving. You get it? They, they saw the healing, but they missed Jesus. What I'm saying is they saw a miracle, but they missed the master. And I think you and I can get that way that, that we can open up the Bible and we can read these stories and we can go, wow, God, that's a great story about you healing that guy. Let me turn to another page and find another great story about you healing another guy. We can read in that and go, wow, weren't Peter and John so spiritual? Weren't they so powerful? Weren't they so anointed? And we just miss Jesus. We get so caught up in chasing the servant that we miss the Savior. And I think we can find ourselves today in the same place spiritually that this crowd was in, that this crippled man was in physically, that we think we're in the right place. We think we're doing what we need to be doing. We're checking all the boxes, but we miss it. And you know why we miss it? Because all we're focused on is what's right in front of us. We get too focused on the temporary and not the eternal. And so does Peter give them what they want? He's like, all right, I guess they want another one. Bring on in them. I love the last thing I read in verse 12. It says he saw his opportunity. That's a good one. Can I be honest? Sometimes it's easy in church to see the opportunities when things are going good. But Peter saw the first opportunity when things seemed helpless. You see, Peter looked at a guy with no hope and saw an opportunity. Nobody else saw an opportunity. How many people passed that guy and said, there's no opportunity in this guy. There's no hope in this guy. This guy's helpless. Peter saw an opportunity. But now after a healing, now the crowd is like, hey man, this is great. This is an opportunity to see God moving. This is an opportunity. Things are amazing now. Church, how often do we see opportunities when bad things are happening? How often do we see opportunities when things look hopeless? How often do we see opportunities, that those moments that say, but God, I can't do it in my power. This is a time for you to move and glorify and shine. Peter saw an opportunity. And he looks at these people and he's like, hey, now I got your attention, I got something to say. You can read it later. The first thing Peter says is this. He says, uh, why are you staring at us? That's not a nice way to start a conversation. He says, why are you staring at us? These exact words, as if you think I made this guy walk with my own power. Let me tell you, church, it ain't about us. Any of you guys got the power to heal somebody? to set somebody free, to forgive somebody. And then he just goes in preaching about Jesus. He says, yeah, by the way, it's about Jesus. Jesus is God. I'm going to give you my summarized version. He's like, you missed it. 
And by the way, y'all been missing it for hundreds of years because everything your prophets ever prophesied just came true a few months ago and you missed it. And you've been missing it, but God forgives you because you're just ignorant. And then he says, by the way, Jesus is the son of God and you killed him. The exact words he says there in Acts 3, you killed the author of life. But he said, hey, this ain't bad news. It's good news because guess what? God raised him from the dead. He's on the throne. He is king. So then he's like, so by the way, yeah, we didn't heal that guy. Jesus healed that guy. You see, Peter didn't get caught up in the attention. He didn't get caught up in the accolades. He didn't get caught up in the excitement. Peter didn't back up and start to think, man, maybe I am something. Like, I just touched that guy. No, he saw an opportunity to point them to Jesus, that he believed that there was an even greater miracle available than one guy getting healed that day. You remember that story in the Gospels? It was early on, and Jesus is teaching, and these people rip open the roof, and they lower a lame guy to him. And Jesus looks at the guys, and he's like, hey, bud, your sins are forgiven. And the crowd's like, uh we're looking for a miracle here. You're supposed to make this guy walk. What are you talking about this sin stuff? And what does Jesus say? He says, hold up, hold up, hold up. Which one do you think is easy for me to say? That your sins are forgiven or for you to get up and walk? Now, what is Jesus asking? He says, you need to pay attention right now. Which one's the real miracle? Which one's the real life change? Which one's the real power? And then Jesus says, just so you know that I've got the power, that I've got the authority on earth to forgive all sins. And he looks at the guy and he says, get up and walk. You get it? So what what was the real miracle? The healing wasn't the real miracle. The healing wasn't the good news. I can promise you this. The gospel is always the good news. But Jesus, what he's saying is, if you can believe, if you can begin to believe that I've got the power on earth to heal one person physically, then maybe you can build enough faith to believe that I can heal all of you spiritually, that I can heal your eternity, that I can forgive your sins, that I can bring you into the presence of God Almighty. Church, I promise you, whatever you've been through and whatever you're walking through, Jesus sees you this morning. He cares about you. He loves you. And man, I know life is hard, but just like this lame guy, I promise you, Jesus cares a whole lot more about your soul than your legs. (laughs) You get what I'm saying? He is more concerned with your eternity than your frustrations. And if you are at a place right now that you are frustrated, bitter, struggling, but you're only looking for freedom on the outside, listen to me, you're going to be disappointed. You see, the truth is, your circumstances getting better will rarely ever make you better. I can tell you right now, you can pray for all of your problems to go away, for God to fix everything, to heal everything, to fix every issue, physical ailment, uh, uh, addiction, but you would still be in bondage if nothing on the inside changes. And you know why? Because the same broken person is going through just a different circumstance. And some of you may be in that boat that you just keep praying for that. You with me? You're coming here because God, you better fix 
that. You've given up on God doing anything great in your life. You're no longer praying for the Holy Spirit to fill you. You're no longer praying for God to use you. You're no longer praying for the Lord to transform you. You're not praying for those prayers that are like, God, you can have my family and you can have my life and have my job and use me. You're not praying for God to put you on mission. You're like, God, just fix that, that one thing. And if you're honest, there's probably plenty of times in the past that God has fixed that thing. That thing got better and you didn't get better. That situation got better and you got worse. And the reason is, and you can write this down, because getting what you want externally, but still living in bondage internally will never lead you to spiritual freedom. Do you know that God wants more than your problems? He wants you. All of you. And God wants to give you things and God wants to bless you, but the things that he wants for you will always be secondary to the life that he wants to live with you. And I can promise you this, God wants to see you happy. He wants to see you healthy. Man, we're going to open up the altars later. You can come back for prayer. God wants to handle your issues. He wants to walk with you through your struggles, but he did not step out of heaven and come to earth and die on the cross just to give you stuff. He did it to walk with you, to fill you with his power and his purpose, to free you from the chains of sin and the grip of darkness in your life. Peter stands there, this crowd just waiting to hear the next thing he was going to say, and he just preaches the gospel. And then he finishes it up with this one verse. In verse 19, he says, And so, what do we do now? He says, Now repent of your sins. And turn to God so that your sins will be wiped away. He says, repent and turn to God. I love that because it's the same message he had a week ago the day of Pentecost. Peter's like, look, I'm a fisherman. I ain't a preacher. I got one message. It's the only message I need. Repent and turn to God. Listen to me. This is where the greatest miracle takes place. This is where God meets us. I was so blessed to hear Pastor Chad was talking about repentance a few weeks ago here. And I'll tell you this, repenting is not, repentance is not just, you better get better. You better do better. You better stop sinning and do what the church folks say you need to do if you want to go to heaven. Repentance is turning. It is laying everything down at the foot of the cross, laying your life down, allowing him to transform you, to fill you, to empower you, to make you a new creation, and then start living on mission with Jesus. As I prepare to close this morning, I, I just want you to be honest with me. As I was thinking this week, who would be here? Who would God bring here today? Maybe ask yourself, have you ever felt like God is looking at you the way that these people look at the lame man? You feel God as you're in your mess right now. God just looking down at you going, man, you can't get that right. You're still messing up. You're still messing with that. You're still looking at that. You're still doing that. Maybe you felt that way from the church before. People just judge you. Man, you can't ever get right. Why do you keep this and that? We can be really honest. I'm in this boat. Times that I've looked at other people and felt that way. Man, what's wrong with those people? They know what they need to do. Why are they messing up? I want to encourage you with the words of Peter. Repent. Turn to God. We're going to get some music back up here. I don't know where Pastor Chad is at.
Repent and turn to God. Whatever it is, whatever is holding you down this morning, whatever bitterness, whatever disappointment, just lay it down. Just give it to Jesus. Whatever it is, the good, the bad, whatever you identify yourself with outside of Christ, your job, your abilities, your mistakes, lay it down and allow Jesus to pull off of you any false identities, any false labels that he never gave you in the first place. And you know what happens when you do that? Everything begins to change. The Bible says that Jesus wants to clothe you in his righteousness. The Bible says that if you're in Christ, you're a what? You're a new creation. You know what happens when you become a new creation? Just like that lame man, you can now stand before God when you used to have to sit. Let me tell you, when you're a new creation, you can now praise when you used to have to beg. When you're a new creation, you can now run when people used to have to carry you because God has given you some strength. When you're a new creation, you can boldly approach the Father when you used to feel like you're standing back at a gate watching everybody else. When you're a new creation, let me tell you something else, you can worship. See, before Christ, worship's just a thing you do. Oh, I just get excited. Pastor Chad's incredible. I'll lift my hands, but oh man, when you've laid it down in your new creation, worship's not a thing you do. It's the outpouring of the presence of God within you, moving you, connecting you to the Father. When you're a new creation, you look at people different. Yeah, people are jacked up. They got problems. I'm going to spoil it for you. I got a whole lot of them. Y'all can come talk to my wife after service. When you're a new creation, you don't just look at people for what they can do for you or how they've done you wrong. The Jesus within you begins to cry out to other people. Look at the broken. See them. Reach down. Pick them up. Dust them off. Help them. Introduce them to the presence of Jesus. I love what Peter and John did. They didn't just heal the guy. It says they grabbed him and they carried him into the temple. Come on, let's go. Church, don't miss it. Don't be so close to God, so close to the things of God and just miss it that you look around and you see what God is doing in everybody else's life. And you know where you're at. Those of you in this room, you know that that's you right now. If that's you that, man, I see what God is doing there and there and there, but man, I'm just on the outside looking in. Right now, I just want to invite you. Just throw it down. Just give it up. Come on, when we stand our feet around the room, if there's anything that you're holding on to that Jesus didn't call you to hold on to today, I want you to feel him as the Holy Spirit moves in this place right now to feel Jesus do that same thing in your life, to come, look at you in the eyes, grab you, and pull you up, to feel wholeness enter you, healing enter you, forgiveness enter you, enter you. You don't have to be on the outside looking in. And I want to say this to our church folks. If you would say, man, I know that my relationship with God is good and we're good and I'm walking with the Lord. Amen. I want to encourage you and challenge you this week to see your broken brother out there. To see your broken sister. To see the hurting. 
to see the forgotten. Peter saw the opportunity that nobody else saw. Do you see the opportunities with the people that the world has written off? The ones that the world said, man, they're too far gone. You see the opportunity that what if God could use me to transform that life? If you're here this morning, you, Christ has, <laughs> has never been made king of your life. Man, you've been doing this and you've been showing up at church and you've been enjoying the worship and this and that, maybe for a week, maybe for 20 years, but you have never had a moment that you went to the throne of Jesus and you laid it down. And you said at this moment, you are Lord of my life. Do not walk out of this door without making him the king of your life. Don't continue to beg for help for the rest of your life when he can fill you with his spirit and call you a son and set you free and set you on fire. All of heaven is waiting for you. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to pray for you guys. God, I pray that the word of the Lord has landed on your hearts. And if you need prayer, come get prayer. If you need healing, come get healing. If God is speaking to you a word of forgiveness or purpose or to see opportunities or to step up and be the church, then don't walk out of these doors the same. Amen? That's what we're called to do, to be transformed people, to be moving and to be looking. That whenever we walk into the presence of God, God forbid we walk out the same because God changes us. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, right now, we love you. God, we feel your presence here among us. We know you're moving, God. We know that you have called us for just a time as is. Lord, you could have caused us to be anywhere in the world and born at any time throughout history, but you put us here now because you have a purpose for us, Lord. But I pray that you will speak to us. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will move among the room. For those online right now, I pray that you will knock on the doors of our hearts and invite us to open and to welcome you in, welcome your healing in, welcome your love in. Lord, I pray that we will walk out of this place as a people who are set on fire with the power of the gospel, anointed, set free, that we will be moving and we will be looking. God, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, I pray that they make that decision today. Whoever walked into this room with a burden, with a hurt, with a struggle, God, we lay it at your feet. We invite you to move now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.